Hello, hello! My name is Jordan and I'm your host and today we are joined by a lovely, lovely guest, Kanice from Queer Youth Rises. If you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, you can. Hi everyone, um, my name is Canis. I'm from BC, Canada. I'm fif- no, not 15. I'm 17 <laughs> I'm grade 12. <laughs> you, okay, hold on. <laughs> you, you really threw it back like two million years ago. <laughs> 15 is totally different from 17, but okay. <laughs> it's because the last time I've done like a full introduction was when I was 15, so I just like, it's in my head. Okay, okay, I get that, I get that. Um, so today we're going to be talking about white LGBTQ issues versus minority LGBTQ issues and if I mess up I'm just gonna say queer instead because that is a mouthful sometimes <laughs> um, we're also going to be talking about lack of inclusive education and lastly we will talking about the lack of representation within media in regards to minority LGBTQ plus queerness <laughs> okay so with that being said we're going to start with our rose thorn bud but for newer viewers if you don't know about a rose thorn bud a rose is a highlight success small win or something positive that happened today or within the last week a thorn is a challenge you experienced or something you use you could use more support with and lastly a bud are some new ideas that have blossomed or something you're looking forward to knowing more about or experiencing so I always like to hand off, hand it off to the guests before we actually get started. So, Kanice, can you tell us about your rose thorn bud? Of course, of course. So, <laughs> I think my rose was I finished all of my finals yesterday for AP Calculus. Nice. That was exciting. A thorn is I feel like I've become less involved in my volunteering, so I think I need to... Now that I have more time after my finals, I can start to involve myself in volunteering again. Nice. And my bud, I'm very excited to go shopping with my friends this weekend. <laughs> Love that. You gotta make time for yourself and your friends. Love that. Yes, yes. Awesome. So my rose would probably be after, well, I'm gonna start with my thorn because then it'll explain my rose. So my thorn is that I've been traveling a lot but that's also my bud because i know i love i love traveling like <laughs> it's amazing um although like hours and hours and hours in your car on a road trip is just so exhausting and i just want somewhere to sleep and now i'm here and i have somewhere to sleep <laughs> in my bed properly so that's definitely something that i'm happy about um, as far as a bud though goes, um, since I have a place to sleep now, I can finally get more involved in Forever Blooming and more involved in creating new projects since I have somewhere stable to actually, you know, do all my meetings and everything like that. So I'm excited about that. Nice. Yeah. So with that being said, we'll actually get into the podcast episode. So let's talk about white issues, white queer issues versus uh, minority queer issues. We do want to say that, of course, as a community, we are going to be discriminated against, but it's definitely not equal since minority issues are definitely so um, 
very separate from white issues because it is a fact that we get discriminated more based on our minorityness. Minorityness, that's not a word, <laughs> but <laughs> our minority identity and our LGBTQ identity. So it's kind of like double the punch. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, that's totally true. Like, I know for me personally, I've had a little bit of fear since COVID for the Asian hate crimes. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of like more aware of that. Whenever I go out into public, I'm always aware of like whoever is around me, whoever is like staring, I guess. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know like the right term, but I'm just like in general more aware of what's around me. And like plus being LGBTQ, I don't openly show it, I don't think. But I do have some like outfits. Sometimes I look more queer, if that makes sense. Like um, it really depends on what I'm wearing, and like everyone has like the subconscious stereotypes in their head too. Mm -hmm. So some outfits do make me look more queer than not. And I think like when I'm wearing those outfits and I'm out in public, especially if I'm out by myself, I'm definitely a lot more aware. Yeah. I definitely feel that. I think when you are aware of your surroundings and like overly aware, you're like thinking of, am I going to get discriminated because I'm wearing this? Am I going to be discriminated because I look like this? And again, it's double the punch because you're, well, for me, it's, I'm black and I'm also LGBTQ. Of course, I don't present, well, I'm going to say I look a little gay sometimes. <laughs> I look a little gay sometimes, but, um, especially for those who um, are overly, I wouldn't say overly as if it's a bad thing, but represent like wearing uh, pins, pride pins and things like that, wearing things that outwardly show their identity. It's definitely a more of a fear for them. Um, I don't personally wear pride pins or anything like that, but knowing that the society that we live in you're going to be pointed out for either your race or your identity and it's a very stressful thing to go through um, just thinking about the stress from uh, stigma and discrimination can both just lead to a lot of again stress and thinking about more microaggressions especially microaggressions are so prevalent within our society um, I personally feel like I have been um, discriminated against in school for my identity um, and my race um, through microaggressions. Have you ever had that experience? I don't think much of my race since um, the area I live in is predominantly Asian. So like most of our school is Asian as well. So there's not much discrimination for race, but I, I have felt and seen microaggressions that were directed towards me. Um, like for example, one time I was wearing a hat with a rainbow on it. It wasn't even like a rainbow flag. It's just a regular rainbow. Mm -hmm. And then I've like, I've heard people point and say, look at her hat and then like make knowing looks to their friends and stuff. So that's like really kind of the only things I can remember, at least right now. Yeah. But yeah, it does hurt when Absolutely. they do that. Absolutely. And we kind of sort of devalue the amount that microaggressions and overt uh, racist actions can affect you. Um, 
we all know the overt racist like slurs and things like that and of course people recognize that in the media but we also don't recognize how much microaggressions can hurt you and make you feel isolated make you feel um, like you are ostracized and there's a huge problem with that because I definitely have like within my own family have experienced microaggressions for my identity um, just not directly towards me but um, thinking about like the comments that they say about gay people and the comments that they say about other queer individuals is just it's so irritating <laughs> but yeah, yeah. it's definitely uh, also feeling um, makes me feel isolated makes me feel like I'm a freak in, in certain situations um, we also want to talk about the general unacceptance of queer people in minority communities as I said I have seen a lot of and I've heard a lot of talk about LGBTQ individuals and how it's a like awkward and stigmatized subject to talk about and as well as my family talks about it just looking down on the queer individuals in general and it's definitely a more and more issue in the minority community um what are your thoughts on that yeah i definitely agree like especially the thing about family my family is well a little bit conservative but not entirely and i do hear comments from especially my mom since i'm closer to her whenever i wear like the clothes that i want to wear and like how i want to express myself um she's always like oh you're dressing like a boy everyone's going to think you're a boy or they're mm -hmm. gonna think you're lesbian and you can tell by her undertones that she means it in a negative way mm -hmm. and that's like especially hurtful especially coming from my mom like herself yeah like as for example like if i want to wear a suit to prom she's gonna be like oh now everyone's definitely gonna think you're lesbian and mm -hmm. i don't know it just hurts me a lot you know for sure especially when it's literally just clothing like at the end of the day it's yeah. just clothing like exactly. <laughs> you should wear what you want to wear at the end of the day don't worry about what you perceived and if anything why is it bad to be perceived as a lesbian why is it bad to be perceived as gay or masculine or anything like that um but that yeah. also leads back to the conversation of just like trying to appear domestic or feminine if you're born a woman um, but you know that's a conversation for another time <laughs> um, um, yeah so we do want to mention also that white LGBTQ individuals are definitely more accepted in the general public just because there is that added layer of well for minority queer individuals there's that added layer of discrimination and stigma as well as just like trying to exist coexist in both of your identities um what are your thoughts on that yeah i definitely agree like in this one study that i seen it's like um lgbt out there <laughs> people of color are like um 51 percent more likely to face discrimination and it's like 
it's like really upsetting because the community is supposed to be a place where like you can feel supported and accepted no matter what like if you're being discriminated on one part of your identity but only being accepted for another part it's like really hurtful and upsetting right exactly and then we also have that added layer of some racist lgbtq white individuals and it's like I don't, I never understood the part of where you discriminate against others when you are oppressed in general in society. Like, how can you be racist and LGBTQ? How can you be black or a minority and oppressing uh, queer individuals? Like, it doesn't make sense in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Like, especially if you understand the oppression and, and you face it yourself. Like, why would you? put that onto someone else like exactly exactly and then there is of course the uh i don't see color people who also are like part of the problem as well because of course you see color we all see color and sometimes you have a lot of bias depending on the color that you see or the race that you perceive somebody as and it's i'm i was gonna say it's okay to have bias but yeah. <laughs> um, it's. I think it's okay to have bias to the extent of which you don't allow it to um, create ignorance and you try to um, like try to perceive your bias and be aware of your bias and try to correct that bias so if you automatically have a racist thought it's like you understand where that racist thought is coming from and then you try to backtrack and be like wait that's not okay and because racism and homophobia and transphobia is a part of some people's family lives and it's a part of how they grow up so if you automatically have that bias because of the way you grew up it's still important for you to do your due diligence in trying to correct that bias and correct that prejudice that you have instilled in you and that's, I was going to say it's a lot of work, but it's not. Just, <laughs> just be accepting of a lot of people. That's, that's it. And, like, in the same study from before, it says that, like, 3 in 5, so, like, 61% have experienced discrimination from other LGBTQ people. And, like, the 61%, they've experienced the discrimination of race like racism basically from mm -hmm. other lgbtq people it's like 61 percent. that's a big number huge huge number and i again i still don't understand the problem but that's again going back to that bias talk about how you're raised and how you are supposed to do your due diligence and trying to face that bias and trying to overcome that bias so that being said we do want to say that there's also a sort of, um, I don't remember if it's called code switching, um, but there's also that sort of phenomenon where you have to exist in spaces where you are trying to exist like in separate identities. Like for example, if you know that you are in an unaccepting space, um, as far as like a homophobic space, then and you're black, then you have to appear black more than LGBTQ because you're trying to keep yourself safe, of course. And if you're appearing in an LGBTQ space that is more inclined to be, I guess, more queer centric, 
and even have racial undertones, racist undertones, then you have to appear more LGBTQ than black. And it's just a constant struggle of um, trying to separate your identities when you can't really do that. You have to exist in your own identity as both queer and both a minority. And it can be hard to do, but that is who you are and that is how you exist. And it takes a lot to be proud of both identities and themselves, but you know, it takes time and effort. Exactly, exactly, yeah. I totally relate to because in my, for my mom and a lot of my mom's friends, they're all like Chinese, they're all Asian. And I feel like I'm trying to accept more the Asian part of myself because I'm already pretty proud of the queerness in me. Um, even though that took a lot of work and a lot of it was by myself, but I'm still trying to accept the Asian part of me. So I feel like when I'm around my mom and her friends, I feel like I have to push down my queerness a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, especially since I'm closeted, but like, I feel like even if I wasn't, then I wouldn't be able to express my queerness around my mom and her friends because of like, how they want me to express my Asian culture more. Right, and that's exactly the sort of issue that happens when you are separating your identity because you know, even though you are in a space where you have to protect yourself, it's like you again have to, I guess you also get into a space where you're like, okay, one part of me is not bad, or one part of me is worse than the other, and so I have to present it as the part of me that isn't that bad. Um, and you get into the cycle of self-hatred and things like that and to the point of which you can even feel bad about both identities or feel bad about one identity and never fully evolve to the point of like accepting yourself as one individual with two identities or maybe more identities so yeah it's an unfortunate phenomenon and i do want to say as far as uh white issues versus black issues or minority issues as far as like incorporating queerness in there there is a higher risk for um, minority individuals minority queer individuals for mental health disorders such as depression anxiety substance use disorders and you know suicide which is so unfortunate because when you think about the issues that are being faced then that's kind of where you lead to that path of depression, anxiety, and it's really just to a point of which we have to create a better, more accepting world, which is like way easier said than done, <laughs> but <laughs> um, it's definitely an issue that needs to be fixed. Do you have anything to say before we move on? No, I just, I completely agree, yeah. For sure. Okay. So then we're going to move on to the lack of education, which we can definitely touch on. The don't say gay bill that we all are frustrated by. <sighs> but let's talk first, talk about how LGBTQ education isn't mandatory in most places. What experience was that for you in um, your high school times or your middle school times or it? even elementary 
Well, I was not really taught about the LGBTQ plus community. I actually can't remember when I was taught about it. Like, I don't remember a time where a teacher mentioned it in a lesson. So, it's like, I don't think I've heard too much about it. Or I just have like a really bad memory, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I've never been taught about it in class, I don't think. Yeah. I definitely can speak to the same experience. Um, I feel like when it comes to uh, any sort of minority issues, whether that's queerness, whether that's like blackness, Asianness, that's it's not a word, but we're working with it. <laughs> um, when it comes to minority issues, those aren't taught in class at all. Um, I never was taught about the LGBTQ community. In fact, I heard more stigmatizing language towards the LGBTQ community um, than actual like education about LGBTQ issues and I, I keep remembering that time my teacher in class was just like oh trans because we were we were learning about like transformational angles or something like that I don't remember what it's called because I don't I don't do math but <laughs> um, yeah there was something with trans in it and he was like oh trans oh yeah we're not talking about that Ugh. and I was like okay 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 like why did yeah. you throw that in there <laughs> that was, yeah that was such an unnecessary comment to me like literally um and you know as a trans individual myself i was just sitting there and i was like felt so ostracized and felt so isolated to the point of which i just wanted to like First of all, I wanted to announce myself like, uh, hello. <laughs> but then second of all, I was like, I really felt the need to just run out of the classroom and tell somebody or just go somewhere to, to where I could feel more accepted. And that's the problem with um, the lack of LGBTQ education because you have scenarios like that where teachers say a uh, inappropriate thing or students say an inappropriate thing or just general misunderstanding about LGBTQ issues to the point where it's just a sort of roundabout of ignorance and bias and prejudice and homophobia, transphobia, every type of phobia and that's where it's kind of just like is the point of the issue where you know, education yeah. sort of leads to acceptance and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, now that you mentioned that, like, your teacher talking about the angles or whatever, I remember in chemistry, my teacher was talking, like, something about molecules and how we write their names or whatever in chemistry, and we have to write either cis or trans in the name, and then I think someone in the classroom said a comment about it and they're like oh is that like something about like the lgbtq plus community i don't remember it was a while ago mm -hmm. but you're just like kind of brushed over it and moved on like they didn't acknowledge the comment which i don't think it was i don't think the person making the comment was like they meant to be hurtful mm -hmm. but like, the fact that the teacher just brushed over it like it was nothing 
Like, like yeah. that is the chance where you actually educate others about what yeah. cis and trans is. Like, it has nothing to do with the lesson, but if somebody asks a question, you're supposed to answer it. And that's yeah. where you can, like, educate others again. And I do want to point out the statistic that fewer than 5% of LGBTQ students had health classes that included positive representation of LGBTQ-related topics. And fewer than 5%, y'all, 5%, we gotta do better. We gotta do better. Like, it's as simple as answering a student's questions about what cis and trans is. And even if that teacher was like, homophobic or transphobic or something phobic (laughs) like it's still somebody else's duty to answer that question and really like expand on it so that everybody is educated about it um yeah yeah exactly and i think the only time in school that i've like learned or i've like heard about the community itself is like in our rainbow club mm-hmm. and that's about it like that doesn't this doesn't include times where like i've talked about it first to a teacher or something but, like the rainbow club we call it the activism and awareness club but it mostly focuses on like lgbtq plus issues but, like that was the only time i've heard about it but that sponsor teacher is like one of the best teachers in the school i think mm-hmm. like because one time we had a fundraiser and we were selling um, handmade bracelets. We're gonna donate to a local um, LGBTQ plus organization. And on one of our posters in the school, it said like F word off, and then the F slur. And like when we reported it to the teacher, the teacher was immediately supportive, and she like immediately like um, put up a plan for us to report other homophobic or transphobic comments and she was going to take all of them to the admin like she immediately supported us and i think that's, that's what's really important like as a teacher is just support your students like no Absolutely. matter what see i think it it's especially when it comes to lgbtq students there's so many issues that um the queer community faces and it's like if you take the time to realize that your student is in need of your help, whether that is facing homophobia or transphobia or just personal issues with gender identity or struggles with sexuality or anything like that, it comes to the point of like surpassing your personal beliefs and just helping out another individual in need. It's as simple as that. <laughs> like literally. <Exactly. laughs> but um We do want to touch on the don't say gay bill. (sighs) We do want to touch on that, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So if you don't know what the don't say gay bill is, it's basically a bill in Florida that forbids instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity through grades K to through third grade. And the law will have parents be able to sue districts over violations. Sue. Sue. Just because you're talking about, like, current world issues. Like, every child needs to know about world issues. Whether they be uh, 5 or 10 or 17. Whatever. Like, what is your opinion on the Don't Say Gay Bill? Awful. Terrible. (laughs) 
dislike it greatly. Like, personally, I think if I had the LGBTQ plus education in school, especially elementary school, then I think I would have maybe accepted myself. I would have figured myself out a lot earlier. Um, like as a personal thing, an experience. In elementary school, everyone was like, oh, who do you have a crush on? Who do you have a crush on? I never had a crush until grade nine. Mm -hmm. So in elementary school, I would always have to make up, like I'd choose a person to have a crush on. So it was kind of like I was fitting in and I never understood why I didn't have a crush. So if I, I feel like if I had this queer education, maybe I would have understood better. I would have accepted myself earlier and like I wouldn't feel so left out, you know? Right, yeah. exactly. And really, I think if you started young, there, there's gonna be so many more queer kids that understand themselves and trying to figure themselves out, like you said, at a younger age, um, to the point of which you don't have to go through that period of like, what am I? What is happening? <laughs> like, should I feel ashamed for my identity? Should I feel ashamed about my sexuality? Um, and if I do feel ashamed, how am I going to hide it and go through that period of just like complete confusion and shame and everything like that just because it wasn't talked about in schools or just because it wasn't talked about at home? Um, I definitely went through that period and it's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun yeah. to say the least. Um, yeah, so if we do start young, we can spot out the LGBTQ kids and we can even help support them and assist them more as they grow older. Um, and it's not like, I I know this bill is probably because it's based on like, um, the gay is gonna affect your kids or something like that. <laughs> and it's like I don't know. It's <laughs> I never I, understood. I actually it. researched that myth one time. Like mm -hmm. you're gonna turn the kids gay or something. And it's like actually it's like the part of your brain that controls your I think your emotional connectedness. Is that mm -hmm. a word? I don't know. Yeah, uh -huh. like the emotion, I don't know, like the emotional attachment you have with other people, that part of the brain is developed in the womb, so like you can't turn gay, you know, like mm -hmm. that part of the brain, it won't change, like who you're attracted to, it won't change, so you can't turn gay, you're just born gay, so like this spill, I don't know, it's like we can't turn the kids gay, so it's like just better to educate them instead of like making them feel excluded and like secluding them you know exactly and even if a straight kid has a questioning phase of like am i gay it's like it's not that bad because at the end of the day they're still going to be straight at the end of the day they're going to figure themselves out and it's not bad to have a phase it's not bad to um it's not bad to think that you're something else that you're not. That's just a part of childhood and growing up. Um, it's, it's really not that bad. I don't know why people think it is. Like, yeah. why is it bad to think you're gay? <laughs> exactly. And I think, like, um, this one influencer, Matt XIV on Instagram. I love him. 
Yeah, that's just great. He makes tons of educational posts on the LGBTQ plus community. And then I think one time in his stories, he put a question. He's like, um, at what age did you know you were LGBTQ plus? And then he reposted a bunch of his answers. And a lot of them were like five years old, seven mm-hmm. years old, nine years old, 10 years old, like five and seven. Seven is grade two, I believe. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> so, like, up until eight years old, kids won't know what the LGBTQ plus community is unless they're taught by people outside of school. And I think, like, eight, you can definitely know about the community. Like, that's, mm-hmm. like, you can definitely start questioning your sexuality at eight, I think. Yeah, so. for sure. So, that being said, all of this tied to tie it up in a whole bow. Uh, if we do educate our kids, if we do educate people in general, we it ultimately leads to the acceptance of LGBTQ individuals. And that can be like, even like minority education, like we need more education about minorities. And if there is more magic education about black issues, Asian issues, anything like that, then there is automatically going to be some form of acceptance, some form of understanding. And that is actually the basis of QIR. So, actually, talk about QIR for a second. Like, let's give you the stage. (laughs) So, QIR, Truth (laughs) Rises, was founded in March 2021. And basically, our mission is to give out free online education on the LGBTQ plus community. But in the future, we hope that it won't just be online and maybe we can do some in-person things. Um, but yeah, and so like we really hope to be a place where people can come and like find reliable education, they can get advice, they can get resources from us that like um, about the LGBTQ plus community. And the reason why this whole organization started was because um, in 2021, I found a bunch of misinformed or like uh, uneducated comments under an Instagram post about how a transgender runner was ineligible to compete in the Olympic trials. Mm -hmm. And like all of the comments under that post, like literally every single comment I read was like, yes, I agree. Good job. Like clapping emoji. Like Mm -hmm. they were all agreeing with the headline. And I was like, I don't think they understand the process of like, like of a trans athlete. Because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think there's, like, a whole bunch of tests. There's, like, a bunch of processes that you have to go through to become, like, um, especially, like, for Olympic level, I would assume, or, like, I would hope they would have a bunch of tests. Mm-hmm. Like, because all the comments were, like, oh, yeah, if, like, being transgender, you have a bunch of, like, biological advantages, like, the hormones and stuff, I guess. Yeah. But like you take hormones for the <laughs> like, <laughs> like literally yeah so that's that's basically how qir started and like i just wanted to take action take initiative and like inform a bunch of people so that's what we're doing we're putting out free lgbtq plus education you can find our instagram at pre youth rises that's our platform and yeah so 
the education leads to acceptance thing is basically my thought process was if I can educate these people on their biases, um, the internal stereotypes they might be thinking about, and like all these myths and stuff, then maybe I can um, help them accept queer people. Because if they think like, oh, teaching my children about gay people will turn them gay, mm-hmm. and then I give them the biological information, how it that part of the brain develops in the womb, maybe they'll be like, oh, so my child won't turn gay, then I will be able to teach the children about gay people. Like, right. that was kind of my thought process behind the organization. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, check them out, check them out, for sure. <laughs> awesome. So, we are going to talk, touch on our last, last topic, unfortunately. It's been such a great episode, but this is the last topic. So we're going to be talking about the obvious lack of representation of minority individuals or minority queer individuals in the media. So as you can tell, within every single show you watch within like that has queer individuals, they're white. That that's it. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> they're white. <laughs> and we also want to touch on um, the fact that the algorithm in social media also t- um, favors white queer individuals. Like most of the actual queer individuals that I, t- that I follow are white, um, especially when it comes to the trans community, especially when it comes to the non-binary community. There's such a high representation of like white skinny AFAB individuals. And if you don't know what AFAB means, it's assigned female at birth. But, yeah, Had, do you follow any, like, queer people, and are they white? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and yes. <laughs> so, yeah, like, all the queer people on my For You page, especially, is, like, they're all, they're most, if not all, white. And I think there's only, like, two or three people who come up that aren't white. I forgot their names. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> There's one that is, uh, I don't know his name, shoot, um, like his content is basically being like the fun gay uncle, that nice. creator. There's Summer, who is a trans Asian individual, and there's one more. Oh my gosh, I just forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. You got If this. I remember, I'll, I'll say it. But, okay. Yeah. But everyone else on my For You page, they're all white. And I don't know, like, I find that when you join at first, the algorithm shows you predominantly white people. Um, So when you like stuff, it shows you more white people. Mm -hmm. And I think like just from the start, maybe they should have like more of a mix, Mm -hmm. like white people of color, you know, because if you like white, um, content or like white creators content then they'll show up more of course so right and we also got to think about like the actual guidelines and rules that are in place if there are uh, if there are algorithms that take race into account what is going to happen when it comes to like equality and following the guidelines 
Like, I've seen so many, like, on, tic- on TikTok specifically, I've seen so many, like, black creators, both queer and non-queer, that have been blocked by saying, like, important issues, um, like, bringing attention to queer issues and just getting blocked from the algorithm or, like, pushed, like, their post has been pushed down or even taken off the platform. And there's just so much questioning behind that how do you take race into account when you are building your guidelines for the app how do you um make sure that more white people are being on the timeline like how do you how do you build an algorithm like that and how do we like overcome the barriers of that algorithm is the real question exactly yeah for sure um and not to say, like, shout out to all my white queer individuals, you're awesome, but I really want to see more minor- minority individuals on the algorithm, because, please, I just I just want to see someone like me. That That's all. <laughs> that's yeah. all. Yeah. Uh, even on Instagram, I did talk about uh, TikTok, but even on Instagram, when it's, like, suggesting you feeds to, um, feeds to like and uh, follow, I said subscribe of it as if I'm talking about YouTube, but okay. I mean, YouTube, there's a problem on YouTube too, don't get me wrong. Like, all of these platforms, there's an issue of prioritizing white individuals, and you gotta really question how, again, that breakdown really is. Yeah. And like, talking about the priority of like the white, skinny, AFAB people, like, especially a lot of like social media influencers who are trans that i see on my um explore or my for you or whatever they're like Mm -hmm. um they're either young so like less than 30 or they're white like i never see any young and poc creators who are also trans you know Mm And I don't see a lot of old individuals either. Like, I, I, the only old trans person I know is Caitlyn Jenner, and we all know about Caitlyn Jenner. That's 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 it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what is there? Like, is is it like after you reach the age of thirty, you're like no longer irrelevant or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah. you're no longer relevant at all. <laughs> but um. I'm sorry, were you going to say something? Oh, it's okay, you can go ahead. I was going to say, especially during my, well, in-progress transition, um, seeing just white, skinny, AFAB individuals, it's like, I never get to see me, and I never get to see me represented in um, social media. And the fact that I don't know, I don't have anybody to look up to, I don't have anybody to relate to, in regards to my experiences and it's such an unfortunate experience because I, I want to see somebody that I can relate to and I want to see somebody that I could potentially reach out to and be like hey how was your issues with da 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 and just overall have that sort of community but you don't see that on Instagram and of course you can reach out to well as a minority you can reach out to a white individual but it's never going to be the same. It's just not. Um, and there needs to be more communities like that, for sure. Yeah. 
Exactly. And like all of the either like the relationships or like even individuals that I can think about right now off the top of my head are like fictional. Like they're right. TV show characters or they're movie characters. Mm-hmm. Like the one that pops up in my head is the one football coach from Glee. Like I've never watched Glee. Oh my god. <laughs> I only watched like part of the first season. It's okay. <laughs> but yeah. Um like the coach was I think they were white and they were AFAB, but they were not skinny. So they don't fit all of the requirements, but they are mm-hmm. they are still white and AFAB. So yeah. I can't think of any uh, like especially black or Asian um, people in the media who are trans. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. I have been on the hunt to find like really good books <laughs> that actually have minority individuals. Um, so the one that I can name is Cemetery Boys. So if you're a book nerd, you love. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good it's so good uh, <laughs> but um check out cemetery boys if you are a book nerd like us because <laughs> yeah. it's so amazing but that's it's it's crazy how i can only name one book like that that's literally it well, actually, I can name two, but the second book was trash, so we're not going to talk about oh. that. <laughs> so, but if you ever want to read it, it's Felix, Felix Ever After. So, um, yeah. But, um, yeah. So, that being said, we do need more representation in literature and shows, especially in shows, because a lot of people consume shows. Um, in magazines, media, like when we first, um, I believe like last year was the first time that they featured like a black trans woman on the sports magazine or something, uh, like for the first time, I was like, yes, but why isn't this happening more frequently? (laughs) Like surely that person can't be the only black trans athlete. Yeah, literally. Yeah. And... Even on magazines, there's so many white people on magazines. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but please get your act together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, lastly, we do want to touch on white gay relationships portrayed more than minority relationships. Um, I think, okay, this is going to be controversial. <laughs> I I really want to see more minority relationships because the only time that I see LGBTQ relationships is either a white gay relationship or a um, interracial relationship. And as much as I love interracial relationships, it's like, why am I still not seeing minority relationships? Like, I have never seen an Asian lesbian couple. I've never seen a black lesbian couple. I've never seen, well, I have seen a black gay couple, but. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. That one family on TikTok. <laughs> that one family on TikTok. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the username is. I can't think of it right now. That but, one family. Yeah. 
yeah but um it's crazy it's just crazy out here y'all like i as much as i love seeing interracial relationships there's also just this like role of like white people being added to be like more accepting um it can't be a black relationship entirely because there has to be a white in order to make it more accepting to the viewer and they don't want to catch a case i guess <laughs> yeah. like right now the ones that i can think of um the netflix movie the half of us like there's one mm. asian person and one white person yeah I've seen I haven't that. watched Moonlight, but I knew I do know Moonlight. that. Moonlight, yeah, movie. Moonlight was really good, actually. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet, so you should I'm gonna watch it soon, though. <laughs> you should for sure. Is there any other media that you can think of? I think on Glee, there's a lesbian couple. I don't quite remember their names, but I think uh, yeah, at least one of them is white. Okay. And that's the issue. Like, as again, I love interracial relationships, but I really want to see more just minority, like, loving. That's all. That's all. <laughs> At the end of the day, that's all that I want to see. Um, yeah. Do you have anything to say before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think we covered everything that I can think mm-hmm. of. Well, with that being said, we're going to close out this episode. So Forever Blooming does have a website. Our website is foreverbloompod.org. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, all at foreverbloomingorg, plus Twitter at foreverbloomorg. And plug your social media again for the people who didn't catch it. Our website is queerthrises.com. We have our social media is all queerthrises. We are on LinkedIn, we are on um, Instagram, we are not that active on Facebook, but I will try to get that back active again. Well, check them out because they're amazing. Absolutely love Queer Youth Rises. We're definitely gonna be, <laughs> we're definitely gonna be partnering so much more in the future. So look out for that as well. Um, the research for this episode is on our website in our podcast section, our podcast guest form. If you want to be like Candice here, you can find it <laughs> in our, also in our podcast section, and you can also find our audience spotlight form where you can ask for advice to be featured in our podcast episodes. And management at Forever Bloom Pod is our at foreverbloompod.org is our email let us know your thoughts questions and how we can improve the podcast because we absolutely love hearing from you and be sure to check out fborg.card.co and that is card with two r's for all of our easy accessible links make sure to like comment subscribe rate us on spotify and share with your friends if you enjoyed this episode and have a great day afternoon or night whenever you're listening to this thanks for tuning in